some one of my great friends who I, I had the amazing privilege of getting to know and, and uh, learning with and, and really diving into um, the kind of the aspects of, of being a Jew of color and understanding that of, of what it is um, and, and just the, the different contexts, right? And this, uh, this person um, is just somebody that's so dear to my heart, um, has really taught me values when um, I felt lost. I, I would call Jordan up and I'd be like, yo, bro, like help me decompress this, help me understand this. And Jordan always gives the most heartfelt, honest uh, opinions. He has helped me uh, in, in various occasions and helped our early ascetic organizations and various other organizations that I wear hats for in, in really um, bringing in these conversations and these dialogues about race relationship and the complexity of where we're at right now. And even addressing the heightenedness of the systems of oppression that continue to bring down various uh, communities of color. So it gives me a great honor to introduce my great friend, Jordan Daniels, who's uh, with us today. And we're gonna have a good conversation around uh, Jews of color, especially around events. How do you make people feel welcome? So Jordan, thank you so much. And that was me and there you go. Thank you. Um, <laughs> that was so like heartwarming. I'm like, wow, like try to observe it all, receive it all. It makes me think of like, um, what is it? Um, Keter Shemtov, the value of like superior name. And I'm like, that's so, it's like so intense for me because I'm like, no, no, I'm not those things at all. Um, and I'm trying to receive them and like really feel them. So thank you so much. And I feel like so much the same way about you, Eddie, in so many ways. I feel like you are amazing thought partner and co-conspirator accomplice, but also like really great friend of personal lead on. So I really appreciate, I appreciate you. I really appreciate being in this space. Um, hello everyone that is here. Really excited to talk about creating spaces for just of color um, with you all. So thank you so much for having me. I'm so, so honored to be here. Thank you. So let's let's jump right into it. And we're talking about uh, really having events and making Jews of color feel accepted. Uh, and I remember that really uh, on an opportunity that we had the ability to have um, a great speaker, Ilana Kaufman, come up and she talked about how many Jews of color are in your synagogue. And she said, address that when you're also thinking about events, if you want folks to feel comfortable. So Jordan, tell me, what is your experience? Because I know you were pretty active in, in college, in, in, your, in your Hillels. What was your experience as a Black Jew um, that, um, of, of like really being accepted? Did you feel welcome in various events? Uh, can you give us a little bit of kind of, of your own personal uh, view and opinion of, of what was going on, how you felt, et cetera? Yeah, I definitely can. It's always interesting for me because I am very mindful of the unique privilege I have in like being so light skinned that um, it's easy for not for to not fully see my blackness um, in a lot of space. And that has led to a lot of like personal trauma about invalidation of blackness. Um, but when it comes to Jewish spaces, there's always been a like, when I was in Jewish spaces, there's a knowledge that I am not, like, I'm not fully what they think, like, what I could be to them. Like, I'm, like, they they, they know I'm mixed, and they can tell usually by my skin tone is just, like, a, literally, like, a shade darker than what, like, what we stereotypically think of the Jewish person is. My hair looks a little bit different. Uh, my facial features look different. And that has led to a lot of times where I think when I was younger, 
So let me like backtrack a little bit. When I was a kid, my mom and I went to a few temples where I grew up. And the first time we went, the, I don't know who they were, but they asked my mom, like, what is your child? And she said he, at that point, she was like, he's black and he's white, obviously. And they were like, how is that possible? Like, is your husband black and why is he black? We're not with the Jewish man. It was just really long for my mom because she also, she isn't religious at all. And she um, went through a lot of anti-Semitic experiences when she was growing up. So she kind of like, like denounced her Jewishness a lot of my childhood. And so that was my first reaction, my interaction of like knowing that I don't belong in this space. And I kind of carry that throughout my whole life. My grandparents were Holocaust survivors, really like not like a, not an uncommon story, clearly. And I was raised with the notion that I shouldn't have disclosed my Jewishness to people because my mom thought that would still lead me to be attacked by a lot of folks. And when I went to college, there was um, an opportunity for me to explore that more. I had begun, gotten really enriched in my blackness, um, worked through a lot of my feelings of um, blackness and validation. I also came out as queer. And so I have stepped along to my queerness. So I feel like I've had so many parts of my identities um, fill me in my power. And I realized I was missing something. So I joined Mahalal at my community college and at my university. And those experiences were interesting because I was very upfront with like, I'm black and I'm queer and I'm Jewish. And I like want to know what that means. And no one really had the answers. No one could really give me tools to really dive into what that looks like and what community looks like beyond just like the white Jewish community. And so it went from a space of not feeling like like I belong to like knowing that I'm included but still not experiencing that feeling of belonging which is where you know that you belong because you can because you are there because of who you are versus you feel included despite who you are and I want to be I want to feel like I'm there because of who I am not in spite of or, or despite in so that was really important to me and so in my hallels it was really interesting because especially I think, I think my university because then there became more diversity diversity in the university of halal and there were three there were two other jews of color one was um latina and jewish and i think one was um api so asian pacific Islander and jewish but no one was black and jewish and there were three of us who were jews of color um three of us i think that were queer but but the ones who were queer weren't jews of color so it was like i still was split between my identities and could not find a place where I could fully exist as me now. And like the only person, I was like the only person um, who existed as queer, black and Jewish in my hellos. And that changed a lot. Now I work for a Jewish organization, um, which is really amazing. And I remember in my organization, and Eddie, please tell me if I'm going too far, because you asked me to me about my college experiences. Okay, cool. Um, and so in my Jewish organization that I work in now, I remember sitting in my in my in my interview. This is like my first my first like big job out of college. So like immensely nervous, freaking out, applying for a Jewish place. Never once in my life I worked for a Jewish organization. Was not in my wheelhouse. I thought I was gonna. I, my dream in life is to be a writer. So I know that eventually I want to become a writer for a magazine or publication. Um, but I was like, okay, let's see. What this is like in a Jewish space. And what does that mean? And they asked me, what is something I want to know um, about them or what I would like out of working there? And I said. I am Black and queer and Jewish, and up until now, I've had no guidance into what that looks like, what community means, um, and to how my identities really, like, connect to each other and belong together. And without missing a beat, the person who is now one of my supervisors today said, uh, we do a lot of work with Jews of Color, and if you are hired, we'd love to show you what your community looks like. And that has really made all the difference. I tell the story every time because it really marked a 
point of transition for me to realize that there actually are people like me. And now I have met people like Elana Kaufman and Yvonne McCoy and Angel Alvarez Map and clearly those who work with the Youth of Color Initiative because um, a majority of them are queer as well. So now I'm seeing um, people who are queer and Jews of color, and also people who are black and queer and Jews. Um, that's given me so much more purpose and that makes me feel like I belong. I'm still the only Jew of color in my organization and we are constantly thinking about what that could look like um, to shift. And that said, I'm also like the only queer Jew of color in my organization too. And this one that I hold, I, hold, I hold really special to me and also know that I really want to find ways to create spaces for us to exist, not just in programming, but in our organizations and also positions of leadership. I feel like right now we are seeing amazing work, um, particularly like done by JSCI and we're seeing work done by the new Jesuit Color Tour Academy. And there are spaces where now Jesuit Color are being, they're having their own spaces. And I'm also feeling like, but why aren't these spaces that were, that like have pushed us out, why aren't they changing too? And how can we get those changes to happen systemically on the inside, as well as creating outside spaces? So I, I believe that we should that we need to have spaces to exist and thrive, and also our spaces definitely need to be a lot more integrated, um, too. I like I said a whole lot there. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're you're perfectly good, Jordan. Thank you so much. I, I just love your energy. I think anytime I uh, anybody ever hears Jordan, they like absorb that energy. And it's so radiant that you don't have to physically be in Jordan's presence to feel it. Because I can, I'm over here just smiling and and feeling that energy. I love it. So, Jordan, one of the things that we're I really want to dive into, uh, and these are part of some of our private discussions that me and you have had in Sella, where is like to bring in folks. You also have to shift the dynamic of: Are you making folks folks feel tokenized in Jewish settings? Or are you truly inviting people? So talk about that, because that's a very complex question, right? When do Jews of color feel tokenized versus when do folks really start to feel uh, like welcomed and wanted? I feel like what I'm gonna say is gonna be really controversial, um, particularly to, to like my fellow Jews of color. I have been a token my whole life whether I want it to be or not. And I have found that I have to be willing to be okay with that because I know that the work that I'm doing now isn't for me, it's for people after me. So I know that I need to be willing to be a token now. So like my kids, whether like my actual kids or like my kids, my, my, my spiritual children, like, so they don't have to experience that. So I think, and I also think, think, think it's, it's like dual prong too. I think as for myself as a Jew of color, I have to be willing to be tokenized at first. So that way, when we continue to make spaces, whether they're events or organizational structural changes, that I don't have to be the only one anymore. And for people who are trying to create these spaces um, of inclusion, which personally, I don't love the word inclusion. I need to talk about this a lot. I really like the word inclusion. Um, I, and I actually, I look at it through like a justice lens. So, there was a time where I heard Johnny Powell speak, who's director of the Berkeley Institute of Othering and Belonging. And he talked about inclusion is still invoking a power imbalance. That when you say you're having inclusion, it still means that you have power of the person in that space. Because you're saying, you are welcome to come into my space. You can be here in my space and I can share the space with you, but it's still my space. 
um, because I'm including you in it, versus belonging is a space that we're co-creating inherently that we all belong to. And that to me, like I'm really into language. And so language, I think word is power and language is power. So having language is so important to me. So when I think of spaces want to be more inclusive, I'm like, don't be inclusive, like invoke belonging. And that means really creating creating work that isn't on behalf of Jews of color, as in when you're creating these programs, don't be a white Jewish person and, and think, oh, this, I think this will like be really cute for like the black Jews. No, invite them into the space and say, hey, we, and I think also like being upfront, like, hey, we know that we have made nothing for you. We also know that we, want, that we want to make something with you for our community. And we also know that you most likely, most likely will be the only person involved in this. And we are willing to risk that. Um, so we can create spaces where hopefully next year or in five years, it no longer has to be only us asking only you. And there is a gamut of people who are willing to do this work with us. So I think really being vulnerable organizationally or as a temple or even as a person to say like, hey, I'm gonna name that I like you're you're, you're gonna be a token and you're gonna be like the token that can really help us create spaces where where we all belong together in this community and um really be intentional about what that looks like on like your decision making levels too. I'm really conscious about when we see institutions that are led by white people wanting to make programs with people of color, Jews of color or even queer Jews, that they're not reflect that like, we're not reflected in your in your decision making in your leadership roles. So also really interrogate who is it, who makes up your organization. How do they reflect the community? There was a big um, a big movement right after the murder of George Floyd with not free to desist, which is an organ which is. Um, I would say a movement as opposed to organization in this moment, but movement that basically called for a lot of organizations to make commitments that, and I want to say the next decade or five, I think five years, that they will that they will actually have their board and their staff represent the Jews of Color community, which means that 12 to 50% of their staff and board would be Jews of Color. And like that's a heavy commitment to make. But also, like, I'm not saying I'm not saying everyone needs to sign that. What I am saying is that everyone needs to look at that and think, okay, how can we actually do something like this here? How can we plan to have our boards be not just white Jewish people, also not just be straight people or just men? How can they be women, Jewish women of color? How can they be queer trans Jews of color? Um, and be willing to. Talk about that honestly, transparently with your organization and think about what you can create in, spatially in your organization too in terms of positions that aren't just like chief diversity officer or even like administration, like how many people of color are in, are in administrative roles and don't have agency or power. That really bugs me a lot because it looks cute on the outside of saying, oh, we have we have three Jews of color here, but they're all they're all in administrative roles and they aren't in roles of positional power that can make changes and decisions. And they need to be in those spaces too. We need to see ourselves reflected not just as assistants, but also as managers and directors. Who again a lot. <laughs> Ooh, no, no, that was so good. That was so good. I'm over here like snapping and just crying in joy. Um no, and I love that. And I personally reflect that and I think that um in in uh speaking from the eye this is why i like i love working where where i work um because in at ariel Lutzetic and arizona juice for justice like i have the ability to also look for that bigger thing right 
like talk to potential grant makers that allow us to continue the work and step above, like to truly have that access to power and not just say like, yes, we have Jews of color, but what is the next step? Like, are, are these uh, Jews of color really taking the initiative? I know that I really am humbled and I love uh, the mentorship that Rabbi Shmuley provides because he always lets like, he always asks for our opinion anytime we go into any sort of new platform, a new project of saying like, okay, like Eddie, what are what are your opinions? What do you think we should do? And, and then bringing other um, Jews of color or other um, black and brown folks into the opinion of asking like, what is, how can we build this together? And I love that you have that concept of, of really analyzing and saying, let's build together. Let's not first build and then say, well, we can adapt for you, right? Because I, I think that that's uh, where where we look at the difference of saying like where where can we build together and where can we like really unite. Um, so now obviously that we've seen um, kind of the changes happen with a lot of shuls kind of saying well we we want to strive for a more inclusive um, shul we want to strive a lot of halals are, are opening up to a lot of more program base for Jews of color. Um, how have you seen that uh, in your opinion? Have, have Are you seeing really good stuff? Are you seeing stuff where like folks can, can work on? Are you happy that this is getting more representation? Or are you kind of like, oh, we should have done this a while ago? Um, okay, I'm gonna try to give an answer that I feel like I may get lost in a tangent. So please feel free to wrote me out if I'm getting too deep into it or getting lost in my tangents. Um, I want to also be intentional that I have extreme lack of experiences in religious spaces. So like in shuls, like because of the harm that experience, I haven't gone back to a lot of them. So I want to be intentional that I could be speaking at my neck at that point. Um, what I can talk about is like Hallel's and Jewish organizations, nonprofit foundations, um, et cetera. So what I have, so I'll say what I've seen in temples that haven't experienced fully, um, I'm not seeing the temples that are trying to be quite honest. I'm really not. Like, I don't know, I, I don't know any around me that is like really that is like so actively trying, well, actually, well, actually let me not say that. Um, but I, I do know there are a few, in fact, there's a rabbi who reached out to me right around the right around Juneteenth when Juneteenth happened. And, okay, so I was actually, yes, actually yesterday, there, there is a change happening. And let me talk about that a little bit. Um, so this rabbi of, this, of a temple here in San Diego had called me before Juneteenth, which is um, a day where we celebrate the progress of freedom for Black folk. I won't be intentional to say it's not freedom for Black folk because um, when Juneteenth happened uh, um, years after the abolition of slavery, which means that people were still enslaved and, or people believe that they were still enslaved before they had Juneteenth and people are still enslaved today. So I want to just name that. Um, and so they want to do a Juneteenth Seder and I and they asked like what I thought about it. Would I be interested in speaking at it? And I was really honored by the thought of it. But I also I was really honest with them. I said, "You are making this event in response to what's happening right now." And I hear that, and I get it. It makes sense. Like you want to show that you are committed to diversity in some capacity. Yes, and. What you're doing though is not giving actual chance or time to really evaluate what changes you can commit to making in your temple 
to really create a space where Black people can come to beyond just the Juneteenth event. Like, like I think, like I, I, and 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 that person actually got featured in a JTA article that talked about how Jews around the country were celebrating Juneteenth or trying to, and they had mentioned me in there, which I really appreciated that too, of, of like making note of that having that event wasn't really going to be successful as I, I didn't think as what they wanted because it would come off as like pandering. Um, and I and I and I was like, I think you have a seder and call in Juneteenth and maybe read maybe read something from the like Liberation Haggadah or sing you know sing a song that's about freedom. But I really think what would be really amazing is if you shared your commitments for next year, what next year can look like to actually have a diverse temple, um, and what you're actually going to do in terms of marketing and structure of the uh, structure of the temple to have Jesus of color in there. So that's for a temple, nonprofits or halal. I think um, in terms of the halal that I, the halal that I was part of, one, one's a really small halal and I actually went to help them recently and it was mostly white Jewish people. So can't say that that really changed a lot. Um, and then the university halal, I think same. I think it's interesting because that requires us to look at what the outreach is like. Obviously, they're just the color on campus, but they they either don't don't talk about being Jewish, don't share it because they don't because we don't look it. And when halal's are on campus, they they may not always go to the to those other people and ask them, you know, hey, what would we know about yourself and Jewishness, right? Um, and I think one. And the halal institution, and even on campus, represents an institution, and there's a lot of apprehension, there's a lot of hesitance from Jews of color to want to be a part of institutions because we haven't felt safe enough to be there in the first place. Um, I believe that it is my duty to be a bridge because I have so much privilege. Um, as someone who's light skinned, that I I have to be willing to be a bridge and be a token as I said earlier, so there can actually be changes. Um, but I don't, but I don't, I don't know how that's changed now in, uh, in the, in like my halals because I haven't seen it. So it's like, I don't know. I say I haven't seen it, but I also don't know because I'm not hearing about it in any positive ways either. So that's like really static. I feel like it's not necessarily helpful um, because it's not, it's not like positive, but I think I want to be like really real about that. Now in nonprofits, um, because of this big commitment that they're making, that I am seeing and that actually gives me a lot of hope. I think also because of the work we're seeing from Jews of Color outside of institution spaces, um, now that there is a door opening for institutions to begin thinking about what it looks like to make these changes on a structural systemic level. Um, and I'm really, I'm like really excited for that moment. I, I don't think it's fully here yet. I think people are just now like peeking out like, oh, is it time for us to like see what we can do? Um, but I am really looking forward to how it will play out and a bit nervous too. Um, I think there has to be a willingness to hold each other accountable to that. I imagine people in this Zoom know each other. And so I would really love to encourage all y'all to, to um, hold each other accountable to the commitments you might want to make. I do see a comment here that I want to address in the Zoom, if that's okay. Is that okay, Eddie? Okay, great. Um, haven't always felt welcome to come watch shows like dinner visits and musicals beyond race, just saying. Thank you, Nancy. I would love to, I guess, understand more of the context. Um, and I won't, be, I won't be mindful of saying sometimes it goes beyond race. 
Um, yes, yes, it does. And we would be remiss to not acknowledge that race is often the predominant or a really huge factor in not feeling comfortable and welcome in a lot of spaces as in shuls in the outside world. Um, but yes, it also is about gender and also about um, sexuality and gender presentation. Um, maybe Nancy would, if, if possible, we could talk about this more, like maybe I can give my information and we can talk about it. I'd love to hear about it. Or there's time in here after the conversation to talk about that more. I'd love to hear your experiences to really um, dive into it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, we'll definitely have um, an ability to have a little kind of a dialogue session in, in just a bit. Um, but I, I still would love to jump in into some of the ideas of belonging and um, really working together so that folks can build systems that work for all of us, right? That make folks feel completely, um, want not only feel like we're accepted, but feel like we're wanted. Because I feel mm -hmm. like that that is something that, is missed a lot, right? Like, we want you here. Um, and I, I really liked what you were talking about. But also, like, I, I would love for you to dive into addressing our own implicit biases and being able to acknowledge those uh, and, and taking those off of, 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 like, our hearts, right? Acknowledging that we have implicit biases and that they also contribute to anti-Blackness, to anti-different uh, like systems and that fuel racism that inherently we may not be forcefully trying to be racist, right? It's not in our intention, but something's come out racist because of, of, of years of implicit bias that has been fueled by a society where we live in, right? And um, a, a lot of uh, Jews um, who, who are white passing have access to that power and, and then dive deep into that. Okay. Where's the question? <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a lot. It's like, what's the question in that? <laughs> so how do you address your own implicit biases? Okay. Ooh. <laughs> I was like, ooh, I was like so much. I was like, ooh, Eddie, you were saying the whole thing right here to the office. I snap you like, yes, just go off, go off. Um, okay. <sighs> just implicit bias. So the two things I want to touch on that you said, um, one was intention. And I think a lot about the idea of intention versus impact. Um, I think one thing when we discuss our implicit bias is that we aren't realizing what we're saying and that is totally fair. The problem then becomes when we say something hurtful or harmful and we absolve ourselves by saying like, it wasn't my intention, right? Like like, like that, like that's our repentance or the truth over the moment is like, it wasn't our intention and that's it. But like intention and impact are two different things. And whether your intention wasn't to be harmful, the impact was that the person was harmed and that is really what matters. And that is a way to really actually address something is to understand, is to not absolve yourself, but to be willing to be uncomfortable and say, oh, I see that that hurt this person. And I see what, how I said, how I said did that. And sometimes, Sometimes that person will tell you, sometimes they won't. And then you'll be left with, well, how will I know that was wrong? Um, and I would love to encourage people to really, if, the, if that, that moment happens, like Google it. Like it sounds so silly, but seriously, sometimes on those I just Google the question, it comes in. Like Google is your best friend, so use it. Or Bing, whatever you use, but I love Google. Um, and I think also the idea of not being racist. I don't know who here has read um, Happy Ant 
Terraces by Ibram X. Kendi, but I read it earlier this I read it, um, early this year, and it is a really hard book to get through. I did the Audible version, which I would say to me was really difficult because he narrated it, and there are so many moments where he like reiterated the same thing, and I was like, this is super intense. All this to say, I am now using the spectrum that the the framework that Ibram provides is a spectrum of not of um, racism to not racism to anti-racism. And what it suggests is that we actually aren't all labels, like you aren't racist or you aren't not racist, you aren't anti-racist. They're actually just masks that you take off and put on at any given moment. So there's a spectrum of committing not, not racist ideas, racist ideas or anti-racist ideas. And so I think it's being mindful, one, giving ourselves grace to say, if you say something that is racist, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you're racist, it also, but it also means that you're saying a racist idea and you need to interrogate what that means for yourself and how that makes you feel and where that is coming from. Um, and that also means that you have the ability to move the spectrum, to go beyond not racist, because not racist also just means, and I'm, in my words, complacent, it just means I'm neutral, whereas anti-racist is actually the active action of practicing beliefs and values that uplift all people. It's um, been particularly those who are the most harmed and marginalized. So I would say to address your own, to address our own, our, our, our own implicit biases, when we're in moments where we have, where we're saying something we know can be problematic, right? Or someone says, says, says someone says it's problematic, think of that spectrum and, and try to interrogate where we are in that spectrum. And if that spectrum is on a racist idea, integrate where that came from. I wanna be clear that I work through my biases every day. I have my own biases too, and I'm constantly working through them. And I'm always asking myself, where is that coming from? What have I been taught that makes me believe what I just said? Um, and maybe this is a bit abstract for people, um, but we are all like perceptions of reality there is no like one reality, like we're, we, we're all perceptions of it. And so I have to think of, okay, what uh, what perception of my reality is actually harming that person? And how can I change that and shift that in a way that is helpful, supportive, not just to them, but also to myself, because I want to be a better person, right? Right now we're in the 10 days of all repentance and I want to make sure that my name is inscribed on the book of life for the next year. So what can I really do um, to think about how, how my actions and words are harming people, what informs those moments, and how can I relearn? Because we're all taught history from the standpoint of the victor, and we're all taught um, an oppressive history in a lot of ways, whether it's American history or even Jewish history in some ways. And we need to be willing to interrogate that and allow ourselves the space to relearn, to deprogram and relearn. Does that answer it, Eddie? Is that a good answer? That was really good. Yeah. I, I'm throwing such like complexity at you. So you're like on the spot adapting and I, I love it. <laughs> uh, so thank you, Jordan, for that. I want to pause a little bit and just kind of get folks' reactions and feelings. So um, please type in on the chat or unmute yourself and let us know how you're feeling. I know that we have some folks on here um, who have delved into uh, some of the work that we've done uh, with anti-racism Um let us know how are you feeling um if i am that person that does call on you so if we get silence i will call on you so prepare an answer <laughs> all right looks like i'm calling on people let's go with maybe they're Lynn. still typing <laughs> 
Yeah, no, yeah. If you're typing, I'm gonna give you a little bit more time. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I am working on my patience. Uh, <laughs> one of my musars that I'm currently working on is mm. my patience and mm. trying to be patient with folks. But we do live in a, a capitalistic society that demands so much of you. So <laughs> I'm like trying to break that down. <laughs> I live, and all, I mean, and also the other day, Eddie, like we're probably the most affected by that capitalist by the capitalist ideal. So actually, maybe, maybe don't give them time because time <laughs> constructs. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. Okay, so Linda sharing that this is wonderful, and Eddie and Jordan, you are absolutely on target. Awesome. So if anybody wants to share something, please, please go ahead and share it. Uh, if not, we're just going to continue. And I'll share. I, I know I, we've been sharing so much that I want to take a time to hold a space and, and kind of acknowledge everything we felt. Cause if we go on way too fast, everything's going to be kind of overwhelming. So I, I really appreciate Cause we hit some hard topics, right? Like we talked about um, um, like we talked about our implicit biases. Um, Onida. So just to cl uh, clarify, like so far what you're feeling off of this conversation, I know Onida and I have um, definitely have had conversations around being um in our cases being latino and being jewish and her daughter as well and we have these complex conversations of belonging and acceptance so anita the question was what are you feeling right now um what are your thoughts so far of hearing our conversations with jordan here or maybe if like if you need more like like tailoring are there certain terms that we've thrown out here that y'all are like what does that really mean what does that look like in practice um and if and, and if, if the, the person you were just referring to, Onida, is, is their name? Or is that mm -hmm. just? Yes. Um, if, oh, perfect. I hear a voice. Great. Okay, great. I was going to say, if you want to share, um, please do. If not, I was going to ask, I was going to call on Nancy um, about their comment earlier. Please, Onida, please do share. Um, I just wanted to share a little bit about, well, being Latin and Jewish. Um, my kids mostly identify as Jewish. However... I feel like the Latin part is um, not mm. is not as is not really a part of our cultural thing. Um, and I think the other thing is, is in my home, um, my daughter is darker than all of us, and um, she gets um, she gets a lot of um, racial bias. I think um, living where we live. Um, you know, she goes to a private school. She's the only person of color in her class. Um, so just, I think it's been really difficult the last couple of years, um, raising her, uh, trying, you know, to convince her that this exists and how to get through it. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing that. And like my like my heart feels a lot my heart feels a lot different ways right now because I am both like empathizing and also understanding that also acknowledging like that wasn't like my own school experience. Like I went to a very diverse school. So everyone, there's so many people of color where I grew up. Um, so I can't imagine being the only person in my school class at such a young age. Um, I can't imagine being the only person in my um, in my Jewish spaces, but not in my school space. So that is really difficult. I would love to ask though, um, in terms of the cultural appreciation, like like your own like um, 
Latin identity and cultural celebration in that aspect. Are there ways, because this is when I think about a lot of how do I exist Blackly in spaces and I have had to make, I just have made a decision that I'm gonna bring my Blackness with me wherever I go. Um, one, because I wanna honor that not everyone has the ability to put it away. And I sometimes have the ability, sometimes don't. And I don't wanna put it away, it's part of who I am. So I bring my Blackness wherever I go with me and I, and I celebrate all forms of Black culture, whether I'm at work or at home or with my friends or on Instagram or when I was at school and stuff. So I'd love to maybe, let me not ask, because I don't know if, I, if, if you want to like get into it, but we'd love to encourage to, find, if it's really important to you, to find more ways to just find the connection of celebration of your Latin culture into your Jewishness. Also, there's a great resource called um, Jutina Iko, um, which is really was made by actually someone that um, and I went to sell it with, um, Analysia, who's Peruvian, Peruvian Jewish, and it's a really amazing resource for for Latinx shoes. Um, so I'd definitely love to. I'm gonna put that in the chat for you actually, so you can check that out. I just that would be great. Thank you. Of course. Thank you. Yeah. Seriously, that was. Oof. Yeah, uh, Ananida. Oh, I love it, Jutina. Yeah. Can I, Go can ahead. I Okay, so I I'm a, I was a teacher. I'm retired now, but I taught in a school, you know, just a public and a special education teacher. I taught in a school that was um, very integrated, you know. And I'm I was raised in Brooklyn, and I've lived in many places, done you know, lived among all kinds of people. But I've never had an experience like at this school where it was there were it was in the Washington D.C. area where there were many people from all over the place who, who come there for various reasons. Some, some have a lot of money, some are very poor, just the whole spectrum of things. And I found at this school, you, at, at some point, like the principal was black. The, you know, there was a huge Asian population. There was a, they were people from every country in, you know, Latin America. And what happened to me was that at one, at some point you stopped noticing who, what color they were, what accent they had, you know, it just, everybody became a big homogenous, we were the school and these were the kids. And, you know, even my own kids who had some had very, you know, prominent pronounced disabilities could, you know, people got used to seeing you. And I think I'm not, I, I just, I'm kind of wonder how that would play into the Jewish community. You know, it's always so white, everybody looks the same. You know, I mean, I was a hippie. I would go to shul and people would, I didn't wear fancy jewelry. I had my own frizzy hair. You know, people looked at me like, I didn't feel like I fit in, mm. you know, and I, and sometimes I felt that I had to leave. I wasn't welcome there. And other times I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to get over it because this is a place that I really want to be and I'm going to learn from it. And they're going to learn to like me, doggone it. Mm. And um, so I, I just see it as a process I, I don't know. I don't know how that fits into what we're saying. You know, all well, I know is that from my years of teaching in that environment, you know, the, like the the prom queen was black and the and the prom king was something else and they held hands and walked and nobody knew and nobody cared. And it well, turned into that. Go on. I would love, so what I want to say, thank you so much. Thank you so much for clarifying and so much for, for bringing this in. And I want to like really like, uplift your audaciousness and saying like they're, they're gonna love me anyways I love that that's how I operate too um and I want to say several things one in terms of the school 
I would really love to, I mean, obviously, I don't know if you're still working there or not, but really interrogate who else feels that way? Because I don't, I, I don't want to like promote the idea of like colorblindness. And I feel like that is something, and I, and I understand that. Like I grew up in a bubble that was so diverse and like we too like didn't like, didn't see the differences. And I also realized like that actually isn't um, helpful. And now I realize like, oh, like where I grew up, we all knew we were different. We just knew that that didn't actually mean that we were better than anybody else. And so I would love to maybe asked to push that thought further of saying it's, it's not so that that there's like colorblindness in the in the school and maybe even maybe even to like do other people like people of color like does a black principal feel that way or does he feel differently you know and also think about how can you acknowledge your differences while having the core belief that you all belong there I think is one thing to think about and I think to your point about not playing special welcome and safe in Jewish spaces the difference and this is me being really audacious um, in this moment to call this in that you you were able to take to to put that away. You could take that any off. You like you came like you said you were a hippie and I and I and I imagine like flowers and like really just like amazing like really amazing um like like outfits. But you had, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but you had the option to take that off, and you had the option to come and present the way that they like that like the community would want you to present. People of color, queer folk trans folk don't have that option. We do not have the privilege to be able to check something like that at the door. And we're often forced to, and that's why it's so harmful. So I think, so like, I think what, I think like that's like the difference. And I think how it can look like in Jewish community is, you, you, just, you just said like, like it's so white, but like right now, you know, there's three just of color on this call I, I see visibly. There's me, I see Eddie, I see another person. I, I, think, this, I think it's more actually, I'm only seeing a few people on my actual screen right now, but I, I, I'm assuming there's actually more than two just of color on this call right now. They're, we're not just all white. We're seeing this in real time. Um, so then how can we actually to see this in our, in, in our organizations, our temples, and our schools, whatever? and really challenge ourselves to like we have to do the work inside ourselves to realize that it's not just white because the, the longer we keep saying it's white the more we're perpetuating that it is white and it isn't like it isn't yeah I, I, I was on a call on Monday that was a Jews of Color um, queer Jews of Color dreaming call and there was 10 of us and I was like this is our community we see each other right here it's not just white like like we all think they are I'm going a bit off now, but um, yeah, I hope, one, thank you for sharing that. I hope, um, I'm like, I want to be mindful, like I'm not trying, I don't want to be accusatory at all. So I hope that what I'm saying um, isn't too alarming, but I do also do hope that it is a bit dis discomforting because we are always uncomfortable. Like I live in discomfort and I um, I can I imagine Eddie might as well and other Jews of color live in discomfort too. We have to all be willing to be uncomfortable um, with interrogating where we are and what we think, what we feel. I think that's a very good point is that I can change how I look and make my hair look nice and, you know, and do, um, you know, I wasn't expecting to be doing this today. I, mean, I could look more like I fit in, but in any case, uh, I guess you look how you look who, and you, you are who you are. And, you know, that's just, that's a good thing. Yeah, and it's the problem of everybody else who couldn't see that, you know, it's our, our it's others' problems. But mm -hmm. thank you, thank you so much. Thank you, and you look great, by the way. I I think you look great. So like, please, <laughs> please don't even say like, oh, I can do my hair differently. No, no, 
No, no. You look amazing how you are. We all in this call look amazing how we are. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, so Jordan, you have a question from yeah. Omar uh, Portillo. And he says, Jordan, in your work, work in uh, bringing in structural change in the Jewish space, what has been one of the, your most challenging to um, uh, make it a belonging space for G uh, Jews of color? That is a great question, Omar. Um, thank you. Uh, it like makes me mad. It like makes me mad that's like to like admit it, but like, or I, like mad and sad, but also like it's just very sad of like, the me the most challenging part is getting people to actually buy into the idea of belonging. We are just now getting into the idea of inclusion, diversity, equity, inclusion. And so it's, it feels very kind of culture to me, which is also like very on brand for me to be kind of culture, but like, we're now just getting to the point where like, oh, how can we be more inclusive? And I'm like, forget inclusivity, throw out the window, let's do belonging. So my, my biggest challenge right now um, is getting people to actually see what belonging is and looks like. And I think it's also like some people are like, well, like what's really the, what's really the, what's really the, like the difference? And again, I'm looking at through a justice lens, but to me, there's a big difference between the language of inclusion and belonging. Um, but so yeah, so yeah, my biggest challenge is really is making people get buy into that. With that point, with that then said, the other challenge is their, particularly with a lot of organizations, is their willingness. I think there is a huge. Um, What's the word? A huge, I think there, there is a huge, I forgot the word, what the word is, but a lot of people show face. Like they want to show face and don't want to admit um, whether it's organizations or people, like we don't want to admit that we're wrong. And I, and I, and I know that. And um, that is becoming a huge barrier is that organizations aren't being willing to admit that they haven't given us spaces to exist and thrive. Um, and I think that's the biggest challenge is getting them to admit that so then that way they're willing to actually bring people in to change that. Yeah, and uh, Linda has a really good point here. She said, it's difficult hearing about the consistent feeling of feeling uncomfortable. I equate it with the stress caused by racism. It's so harmful. How do you take care of yourself? Um, I take care of myself. So, okay, so I, I'll give like a really great real, real time example. When George, Floyd, when, George Floyd, when George Floyd was murdered, I I had ran an article um, that got published by JTA, which was like really amazing. I was so happy and thrilled by it. And like, and, and today it celebrates like a lot of like so much inner like joy that I've done it. And since then I've been probably, I have probably done 20 anti-racism panels since then, right? So that is maybe four in four months from, no, three months. So 20 in three months is like three to four a month. And so it was getting really exhausting for myself because again, I was being tokenized, which I was like fine with in a lot of ways. I was like, oh, I was being tokenized. So I was like, I have to be willing to do this. So that way next year, it won't just be me on this panel. Um, but it, it became really harmful because then I'm recounting my trauma and pain every like week and at one point I was doing like two workshops a week and that was so exhausting. So I have begun to instill boundaries inside myself, um, which is actually also currently within my whole life too. I have a hard time with boundaries. I wasn't raised with boundaries. There was like no lock on my door. So like my mom was like boundaries, what are those? And so I'm really trying to instill those in myself. And that looks like saying, hey, I will not do 
two anti-racism programs a week now. I'll maybe do two a month. Maybe one a month is fine too. Also free labor, um, a lot of those were for free. And after a while, it's like, I am giving myself this moment freely. And, and let me be clear, like, I don't need money. What could happen is like, they can offer, I can say, hey, donate to this cause on behalf of me or something, or actually use it to create a program. Um, but yes, Denise, we need, but we do need to get paid. But like, and that wasn't, wasn't even on the table. Like it was on the table. So I was like, if it's not going to be, up, if they don't even offer pay, I'm not going to do it. You know, like I'm fine to say, I don't need to get paid. Please donate this to X, Y, Z. But if it's on the table, then it's not for me at this point. Like, cause then it shows me that you value my, you value what I have to say, but only if you can get it um, freely. And that like, doesn't sit right, right with me. I also love to cook. So my a big self-care, my ass cooking, cooking is my therapy. People know that when I'm like, when I make like a full course meal, like, like appetizers, the whole, the whole shebang and dessert, they know that I'm actually really stressed. Um, and so I use cooking as my tool to, to, to de decompress myself. I also dance every morning in the mirror too. Um, I like dance in front of my mirror. I play a good song in the morning when I wake up. I like shake my butt. I like hold myself. I tell myself I'm beautiful. So that's the ways that I do self-care. I think for anybody, a big part of self-care is boundaries, instilling boundaries, knowing when to say no and knowing what it looks like to say, I care for myself enough to not do X, Y, Z. Um, I hope that helps. Yeah, that, that is great. Um, we have some more comments here. Uh, Linda says, I suggest uh, that uh, before a Jews of Color Speakers Bureau, uh, and then Omar said, uh, by the way, I'm a Latin American living in London, and some of our synagogue members are here to take in what you have to share and take as much back into our community. Thank you. Omar, we are with you, brother, uh, all the way from London. Our hearts are with you and uh, uh, Fuerza, sending you good vibes. Um, Omar, I just want to say thank you so much for saying that. I really, like, I really appreciate you saying that so much. And I also want to say that if you feel like you haven't gotten something, like, please, like, please, I'm always more than willing to, I'm more than willing always to, to continue the conversation, especially with other Jews of color um, or queer folk or the intersection of them. Like, I'm more than happy to carry the conversation and continue it. So please, please feel free to reach out um, if you want to do this more um, personally. And I'm just like, I'm so honored that, that you, that you, that you're, that you're taking this back with your community. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. Um, and like everybody who's been on the call, just uh, we appreciate you. Uh, um, I think representation matters. And the fact that me and Jordan can have these conversations just feels so much more special, you know. And uh, sometimes like, uh, especially if like coming from the eye, like what I feel is I always use comedy to kind of relieve my, my, my pain and try to and, and also me and Jordan were talking about this um, mochi ice cream has just been heaven and it's just been some a source of of uh freedom for me <laughs> um but also like really acknowledging like the horrific sides of of racism and and not only for a lot of folks that we we don't have the option to to just slide by or or change one one of our uh, appearances to you know be able to be accepted um i remember this one time i went to a really really predominantly white school and they sent out a flyer with like a new promotional background and it was like promoting diversity, but it was just a picture of me. Like, like they had gotten a picture of me 
of me like walking down the hallway and I remember my mom got so angry she was like what where's the diversity it's just you and I was like I don't know my mom was just like I didn't even know they took that picture and it was like middle school diversity and it was just like me walking by um and now like I I laugh about it but in reality like that's pretty messed up right like that's pretty messed up to even think about that that we are used for that sense. Um, but I, I really like, uh, Jordan, what you also said, that also like when you use that tokenism to your own advantage of, of pushing for those values and pushing for that fight and continuing the struggle of what it is um, to, to truly champion justice and equity for all of us. And it really, really resonated with what you said. Um, we learned history from the victors, right? And and to me, that that's really says something because Imagine if Exodus was told from the side of the Egyptians, right? Like imagine if that was the setting where they were the ones that were the oppressed and they were the ones that were the champions. Like that to me, I always think about in the other side, like we learn um, typically from, from the victors and we, we grow up learning that history, especially here in the United States. So sometimes we have to unlearn some things and, and every day we learn, right? Every day we learn. What is a, a quick message of hope and inspiration, Jordan, that you give us? Um, I know that this morning we had an amazing conversation with one of my good friends, Rosetta, here from the Native community. Uh, and and uh, we talked about hope. So that's still resonating in my heart right now. So, Jordan, what is a quick message of hope that you can give us? Um, <laughs> message of hope. Let me think, let me think, let me think, let me think. So I have on my arm, I have a tattoo that says optimism is key. Um, and this is like my symbol of hope to myself. I am highly optimistic. Um, not the point where I'm not the point where I am like delusionally optimistic. I'm realistically optimistic. Um, but optimism is really key for myself. And I think that coupled with I really am so inspired by the Jewish value um, in a form of ethics that is. You're not obligated to finish the work, but now that you're free to desist from it. And that like that gives me hope because I know that I don't have to, I don't have to do everything. That, that, that's not my job on this on this earth. My job on the earth though is to continue it for those who have passed and to pass on to people who can do it too. And I think that I'd be like, how's that hopeful? But to me, it's like hopeful because I know that someone will be will be will be there to pick up the pieces and continue the work that we're doing today. And that like, gives me hope for the future. Um, I think also there's like hope all around me. I think right now we're in a really grim, really grim time. Um, so also I encourage people to vote, please vote. <laughs> um, and register vote if you haven't voted. Um, but I think there's hope all around me. I think like I find hope in seeing how beautiful my, my neighborhood is. And also I find hope in moments like this, like we're all willing to be here in this moment. How many of us are here? 13 of us right now and plus people on Facebook Live. We're all willing to be in this moment together to feel uncomfortable, to ask questions um, and to like learn how to create belonging together. That gives me hope. Like each person in here gives me hope. Having a brother like Eddie gives me hope. Having the people in our cell community give me hope. Like there's hope literally all around me. You just have to be willing to see it. Um, open your eyes. Like there's hope in, in every possible way, so. Yeah, I have hope from all of you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, folks. Um, 
for for joining us today. I, I just really resonate that. And it reminds me of a quote that Julian Castro talked about uh, when he was talking about the work with immigration reform. He said, a lot of people think that this is a race, but it's not a race. It's a marathon where you pass the baton on to the next generations to continue the work. And I truly believe that that's with all contexts of the different systems of oppression that affect our community that these are systems that have been so embedded into our society. It's almost in a, in a sense of a DNA coding that is within us that we have to deconstruct. But once we deconstruct, then we build together. And I want to use this amazing metaphor that my friend Jordan uh, used that really has always visualized in my head. He said, bringing folks to the table. And then what can, can everybody come to the table and contribute something? And then I just read in the chat as well while I was thinking that concept. And my friend Rosetta said, sometimes when there's no space, you have to build that space and bring your own chair to the table. And I love that. So, folks, thank you so much. I would just want to give a shout out to uh, my good friend Roberta on here as well from the uh, Jewish Social Justice Roundtable for helping us make this possible and helping make this uh, webinar series and our anti-racism campaign possible Thank you so much for all of you who have double deck events today and still showed up. I appreciate you. My heart is with you. Lastly, we thank you, Jordan, for this amazing conversation. It's always a blessing to have you on board and always a blessing to talk to you. And just like you said, we give each other hope. We are the 